If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. This video is supported by ExpressVPN. You know how in James Bond movies, the villain always comes up with some crazy elaborate way of killing James Bond instead of just shooting him? You know, strapping him to a conveyor belt that slowly pushes him toward a laser or slowly dipping him into a pool full of angry sea bass. Actually, I think that was Austin Powers. Anyway, try this one on for size. So you're James Bond, and you wake up in a room tied to a chair with a gun pointed at your head. Then our villain tells you that the gun is wired to a stern Gerlach apparatus that can measure the up or down spin of an electron. If it measures the electron spin as down, you just hear a click. If it measures it up, you die, Mr. Bond. <laughs> he tells you the machine will take a measurement every minute, and every single time it takes a measurement, there's a 50% chance that it could be up, or a 50% chance that it could be down. And then he leaves the room to you and your fate. You sit there nervously waiting for that first minute to pass, and then click. Lucky you. Another minute passes. Again, you hear a click. Again, lucky you. Then another minute passes. And then another. And another. And another. And this just keeps going on. Somehow it just never seems to measure an upspin. Against all odds, an entire hour goes by with nothing but clicks, giving you time to wriggle out of your handcuffs and escape. This makes no sense. I mean, like, like the guy said, it's a one in two chance that the first one would click. It's a one in four chance on the second minute to go 60 minutes to go for a full hour. I mean, that, that's like meeting your perfectly genetic twin in a total stranger while buying a lottery ticket and getting hit by lightning at the same time. And yet, according to some theories of quantum mechanics, this is not only possible, it's inevitable. What I just described is a version of the famous quantum suicide thought experiment, uh, first put into paper by Ewan Squires from Durham University, later made famous by Max Tegmark in his paper titled The Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics, Many Worlds or Many Words. And you can sum up why it became famous in one word, immortality. Tegmark said that the subject of the experiment would always hear a click, no matter how many times that it happened. Now notice he didn't, you know, advocate doing this in real life, because in real life, the observer would definitely see you get your head blown off eventually. Understanding this requires a little knowledge of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Um, if you've seen Bill and Ted face the music or Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you've probably got a head start, but bear with me here. And yes, I did touch on this just a little bit in my interview with Spiros Mikalakis, who was the uh, science advisor on Bill and Ted face the music. You can go check that out if you'd like. Briefly, the many worlds interpretation was the brainchild of Hugh Everett III. He speculated that every event that can possibly happen does happen in a very real physical sense. Now, other interpretations of quantum mechanics say that, yes, you know, quantum particles are in a superposition until a measurement is taken, and at that point the waveform collapses and only one result occurs. And at that point, all the other infinite possibilities go away. But Everett took a different route. He said that all of those events happen still, just we only perceive one. To explain how this works, he described every particle in the universe as being like an amoeba. Amoeba is reproduced by fission. Before it splits into daughter cells, it is one individual entity. And then when it splits into two daughter cells, it still exists. It just exists as two different entities. Other scientists have compared the many worlds interpretation to a film strip that at any particular scene, it could go in multiple different directions. Each universe 
in a cosmological sense, is like one of these different directions that the movie could go in. They run in parallel with each other and over time diverge further and further from the original, but they never reconnect with each other. Many respected physicists have developed NWI over the years. Among the most influential were Bryce DeWitt of the University of North Carolina and the University of Texas, and David Deutsch of Oxford University. Deutsch is still with us, and he hopes to prove NWI with quantum computers. If this quantum suicide thought experiment sounds familiar, it does bear a striking resemblance to the Schrodinger's cat thought experiment. Erwin Schrodinger envisioned putting a cat into a box with a cyanide pill that would be activated if a uh, you know, radioactive particle hit it in just the right way, and until you went and measured whether or not that particle had gone off, that cat is both alive and dead. Quantum suicide is like Schrodinger's cat for vegans. Except Schrodinger didn't think that his cat was immortal. In no way did he think that it was both alive and dead. In fact, the whole point of the thought experiment was to show how ridiculous the whole thing was. Schrodinger lived at a time when scientists were still wrestling with quantum mechanics and what that means to us in the real world. And he actually really hated the idea that our observation or our measurement of it, it causes the particles, you know, waveform to collapse. He felt the whole thing got needlessly philosophical, actually. Although there are disagreements, most quantum theorists will tell you that every fundamental particle uh, doesn't have a fixed position or state until that state is measured. An electron, for example, can only have an up or a down spin. So before that spin is measured, it can't be said whether it's in an up or down position. It's considered in both positions at the same time, or superposition. In some ways, this makes me think of like old school Disney animation and how that worked, because they would like have a drawing and then put a transparent layer on top of it and trace over it, but then move it just so slightly so that, you know, over progressive times, it would, you know, create an animation. These transparent sheets were usually made out of celluloid, so it became known as cell animation. And the process that they used back then was called superposing, because to superpose meant to lay one thing on top of another. You know, in animation, they did this to show motion, but quantum physicists back in the day would use this same technique to show superposing states. So they would stack the possibilities just the way an animator would superpose images to create motion. They would do this to show, uh, you know, how superposition works. And I explain this because it's kind of a headache to wrap your, your mind around this kind of thing. So if it helps to imagine an animator stacking, you know, cells on top of each other, then go for it. So these unmeasured properties are infinite, but that doesn't mean they're unpredictable. They can be predicted probabilistically. The mathematical description of these probabilities is known as the wave function. Erwin Schrodinger came up with the wave function equation himself, so he was, he was pretty you know, tied down to it. But Schrodinger never really liked the idea that it was the observer or the observation of a conscious being that caused the wave function to collapse. He felt it kind of imbued the observer with like godlike powers. So yeah, with the cat example, Schrodinger was basically saying whether or not you look at the cat doesn't matter, it's still either alive or dead. And interestingly, Schrodinger didn't always believe that a wave function collapses at all. In a lecture in 1952, he did state explicitly that all states happen. He said that other scientists were uncomfortable with this idea because, quote, if the laws of nature took this form, we should find our surroundings rapidly turning into a quagmire or a sort of a featureless jelly or plasma. He went on to say that it was strange to think this as, quote, unobserved nature does behave this way. Yeah, nobody really took him seriously on that. Um, the collapse interpretations of quantum mechanics really won out. That's the Copenhagen interpretation. It was so uh, accepted that eventually it just became known as the standard interpretation. And things just kind of stayed that way until Hugh Everett III and his followers came along and pushed the idea of a persistent post-measurement superposition. They basically asked the question, if superposition existed before the measurement, why wouldn't it exist afterwards? Yeah, they were quick to point out that the particles in the observer making the measurement are also in superposition. So the measurement that collapses the wave function of this particle doesn't just affect that particle, it affects all the particles evolved 
in the observation. Yeah, in a way, all quantum interactions, including measurements, affect the entire universe. So the mini-worlds interpretation says that the particles are made up of a wave function, but that wave function is only a tiny part of a universal wave function. Like, think about what happens when you pause a movie. Like, when people are moving around in a film, there's motion blur, they're moving around, but then when you hit pause, everything becomes clear. And then once you hit play, the people start moving again. Now, unless you've seen the movie before, you don't know what direction those people are gonna go in and what's gonna happen next. According to Many Worlds interpretation, they go in every possible direction. So it's only in freeze frame that people appear locked in a path. This is analogous to a wave function collapse. But the reason it appears locked is because your role in the film as the observer has now kind of been burnt into the film of the wave function. You're in the movie, so you can only see it in one way. There are other yous, however, watching a different movie. And the tricky thing to figure out and to wrap your brain around is that those other yous are every bit as much you as you are. This might be a good time to grab a brain bucket. Personal identity might be the hardest thing to grasp when dealing with the many worlds interpretation, especially when talking about the quantum suicide experiment. Physicist Lev Weidman had this to say about the I in the many worlds interpretation, quote, I am an object such as the earth, a cat, etc. I is defined at a particular time by a complete classical description of the state of my body and my brain. I and Lev do not refer to the same things, even though my name is Lev. At the present moment, there are many different Levs in different worlds, not more than one in each world, but it is meaningless to say that there is now another I." Unquote. You know, that old chestnut. I think what Lev is saying is that all the baby amoebas are equal. You know, when the universe splits, it's not Joe and a clone, it's it's, it's two, two Joes. In truth, the word split isn't an accurate term. It's a term of convenience because all worlds exist at the same time. They're all part of the same universal wave function, which has always existed and will never collapse. In quantum suicide, triggering the gun will kill the subject, but the subject is not Joe, but I. So as long as one of the baby amoebas survives, Joe survives. You can actually see this in Tegmark's math. The observer, the I, is on the left side of the equation. Over there, he will always hear the click of the killer device. The right side of the equation shows Livy and Deddy, the two daughter amoebas of I. Since Deddy is done making observations, it's Livy who will move on to the left the next time the experiment runs. Livy is the observer, the immortal I, and she always will be. Okay, are you still with me? I'm sorry, are all of yous still with me? And this gets pretty deep because it means that for every decision you have ever made, there's a universe where you made the opposite decision or a different decision. Like, think about the last time you went to a fast food restaurant and all the menu items you didn't order. There are universes where you died of a car crash 10 years ago or where you died of cancer last Tuesday. There are universes where friends and family members that you've lost are still with you. And there are other universes where you're friends and family with people that in this universe you've never met. Schrodinger, I think, would say that I'm stretching the concept here, that this superposition analogy only works in fundamental particles, not in, in us. But we are made of fundamental particles, so why shouldn't we take their divergent states into account? If it helps, you can think of Doctor Strange in Avengers Infinity War. In the movie, Doctor Strange looks through 14,605 ways the conflict can work out, and he only sees one way that the good guys can win. Of course, in a true mini-world scenario, that number would be infinite, but maybe he stopped when he found the one that works. The number of measurements, interactions, and combinations that go into any kind of complex motion is enough to make your head spin. It makes the number of stars in the galaxy look puny in comparison. Like you can imagine the universe as a giant circuit board, an immense silicon plane with billions of finely etched paths, and you're like an electron going down a path taking multiple branches. 
but the branches not taken are there too. And if a packet of electrons depart at the same time, we can imagine each branch being taken at once. Our perception is that we are like the single electron taking one path through life, but maybe each of us is a packet instead, traveling different branches at the same time. Since electrons travel at light speed, they experience no time, so perhaps our experience of time is a side effect of observing where we are on the universal path. Every quantum interaction shows us part of the path and a small part of the universe that we can measure with our senses. Schrodinger says that measurement is not special. It doesn't transform the universe and it doesn't force a particle to take a singular path. This is a less human-focused version of this as opposed to, say, the Copenhagen interpretation wherein our measurements create order out of chaos. In many worlds theory, our measurements just reflect our perceptions. The other potential states still exist, they don't go away. Now obviously not everybody is on board with this idea. One of the criticisms is that when a particle goes from a superposition to a fixed state that it is a time-dependent process. And the time thing becomes an issue because we don't know exactly when divergence happens. You know, there might be intermediate steps between uh, superposition and a fixed state. And if there are, does that mean there are different universes for all those intermediate steps? There are also issues around identity and consciousness. Uh, Philip Ball, the editor of Nature, took issue with that whole I concept that I was talking about earlier. He said, quote, consciousness relies on experience, and experience is not an instantaneous property. You know, even physicists that are sympathetic to the many worlds interpretation still might have a problem with the quantum suicide concept because where does, where does I begin? Like in the example that I gave at the beginning of this video, you might survive 60 of these clicks, but does that mean you have sacrificed 59 other yous? I mean, the whole thing makes you ask, you know, is, is my consciousness unique or am I merely a sum of many different parts? How me am I? Is there another me out there that's more me than me? I'm having a stroke right now. When Hugh Everett III died, he left instructions for his ashes to be thrown into the trash. And his daughter, Elizabeth, later on asked for the same thing to happen to her, saying, quote, Maybe that way I'll end up in the same correct parallel universe with Daddy. The end of Elizabeth's life proved little to science, but it does remind us of something. That regardless of however many different universes we may exist in, we have only one life and only one path that we take through it. So let's try to make it a good one. Whatever reality you're living in, there's probably going to be some people out there trying to hack your computer, so you might want to check out today's sponsor, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN hides your computer from the outside world by making you look like you're somewhere else by connecting you to a virtual private network. It's fast, super easy to install, I was able to do it with no problem, so if you're even just a little bit computer competent, it'll be a breeze. And it all just works, it just, it's just totally in the background, you just turn it on and keep doing your thing like normal. In fact, it's better than normal because you can do some things with ExpressVPN that you couldn't do before. For example, have you ever been browsing YouTube and seen a video you'd like to watch but you can't because copyright laws blocked it in your country? Well, ExpressVPN gives you the ability to look like you're in a different country, so all you have to do is just change what country you're from and magically those videos appear. It works on Netflix too, like did you know that people in the UK can watch Rick and Morty on Netflix? Well, with ExpressVPN, you can too. All you have to do is connect to a server in the United Kingdom, refresh the page, and boom, there it is. Anyway, if any of that's got you curious, you can get three months for free when you sign in at expressvpn.com slash joescott. Like I said, it's super easy to set up, doesn't cost anything to start out, and you know, it's just, it's just one less thing to worry about these days. So yeah, expressvpn slash joescott, you get three months for free, links down in the description. Big thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting this video and a huge shout out to the Answer Files on Patreon that are supporting, keeping the lights on, forming a community, being awesome, and also helping me get videos made these days. I really can't thank you guys enough. Uh, there are some new people that have joined. Let me murder the names real quick. We got John Amos, Emery Stagier, also known as Vax Headroom, uh, Chris Clegg, Cleo Wan, Steve Kyle, 
Shane Frederick, Sarah Addy, Libby Holtman, Michael Augustine, Steve Reed, Bold Bonnie, Shade E. Fernandez, Jason Letchworth, Nicholas Reisenhoff, Jeff G., Teresa Gay, Lawrence R. Krauss, the Lawrence R. Krauss, uh, Bradley Freeland, Joseph Patterson, and Bagel Barton. Thanks you guys so much. If you would like to join them, get early access to videos, exclusive live streams, all other kinds of cool stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash answerswithjoe. Please do like and share this video if you liked it, and if this is your first time here, check this one out. YouTube's been following you and they think that this one's up your alley. Uh, or maybe check out any of the others that are being recommended down here. And if you enjoy them, and I hope you do, uh, I invite you to subscribe. I'll come back with videos every Monday. All right, that's it for now. You guys go out there, have an eye-opening rest of the week. Stay safe, and I'll see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care.